Amen and welcome everyone. Really glad to be here with the Urban Impact Choir and uh, this band and just the way they lead us into worship. And actually really, really glad to be here with you. Glad that you decided to make this a priority this morning. We're going to be looking at a story from Mark chapter 2. It's in your service sheet. You might want to have your Bibles open. It's a great story. It really gets into the question of what do friends do for friends? And before we start that, I just want you to think for a minute. What's one of the best things you ever did for a friend? One of the biggest acts? I mean, uh, maybe you loaned a nice car to a friend who had a lousy car for a big date. Uh, maybe you helped move somebody from you know, that second floor apartment to a third floor attic place in a different house in Oakland where you've got steps outside the house before you can get to the first floor. I don't know if that makes, uh, rings true, but if you've had students over there, you know what I'm talking about. I wonder if you've had somebody come and crash at your house for maybe weeks or longer while they're messing through some things in their life. But the question is, what do we do for friends we really care about? And this story that we're going to talk about today has a dynamic picture of what friends do for friends. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your word and grateful for this privilege of being here to worship and just grateful for Jesus. And it is our desire that you would help us today by your spirit to know Jesus. We want to know the Jesus of the Bible. We want to know the Jesus, the truth about him. We don't want to just think up what we want to think about him, but know him as he is. And Father, we're asking that you would lead us to respond to this Jesus. The Jesus that's seated at your right hand even this morning in total victory. But that same Jesus who is with us here in this service as we worship and pray and fellowship. May we know Jesus. Father, grant us your mercy today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, get those Bibles open. We're going to start with uh, chapter 2 of Mark, verse 1. This wonderful story. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So now we've got a scene coming. Jesus had been down in the Jerusalem area, but now he's back up in his home area. But in the meantime, the uh, short time that he's had ministry and he's calling some disciples, some amazing things are happening. In chapter 1, verse 30, uh, 32, it says, uh, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. So people were hearing about Jesus doing miracles. We just sang that song, The Healer, which is so appropriate. And Jesus was demonstrating his authority by healing a lot of people. And as you can imagine, his reputation spread because of that. Well, also in verse 21 of chapter 1, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching. So it wasn't just the physical healing he was doing, but this guy spoke with authority. He had some connection to God that they had never experienced before, even though they'd been around religious people quite a bit. And so it says here in our passage, you know, that Jesus is there again, and he's teaching people the word again. And that word, as we find out in verse 1 of chapter 1, is the gospel. The good news, the fact that Jesus Christ is doing something phenomenal that's releasing people from their prison and from their slavery to freedom. It's a call and a march to freedom. 
And all that stirred up. And so Jesus is back in town. And guess what happens? Everybody comes. Hey, did you hear Jesus is back? I didn't hear him last time. I'm going to hear him this time. And I'm taking my aunt or this person because there's a chance maybe they can get healed. Let's go. Let's all go. There was a real spirit of anticipation at this event. I think uh, you would have wanted to be there if you were in town. You would not want to miss this. You might be skeptical. You might be going saying, I don't really believe those things I heard people say. That can't be true. That can't have happened. I'll go and see for myself. Or maybe you're saying, I so hope it's true. I so hope to find out that he is actually the Christ, the sent one, the anointed son of God, king of kings and lord of lords, who's coming in our generation. Let's go see. And so everybody thronged to this house. Well, that was good news for some, but it caused problems for others. Let's, happen, let's get into verse 3 here and see what happens. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Now, this sounds like a simple part of a story, but this is where we get into the part about what friends do for friends. I mean, this is actually pretty amazing. These guys, first of all, you know, a paralytic is not, again, a power person. It wasn't like this was a famous or rich person or whatever, but he was their friend, and he had a real need. And somehow, he had relationships that were so strong, when they heard Jesus was coming, they said, hey, you know about Joe? Let's get Joe and take him to Jesus. I mean, did you hear that he healed these people? Let's see if he could heal Joe, whatever this guy's name was. We don't know what his name was. But that's the kind of frenzy where they're sitting around talking. Why should we pass up this opportunity? Let's take him. Yeah, but he can't even walk. Well, we can carry him. We'll get his bed and we'll just carry him over there. Can we do that? Sure, let's go. Come on, let's go. Are you all in on this? Yeah. So four of them picked this guy up. And who knows what the crowds are thinking when they're all thronging over there to see Jesus. But here comes these guys carrying a guy on his bed. And, you know, it's a demonstration of their real care. They don't care about whether people are thinking it's inappropriate or whether it's kind of humiliating to be with this crippled guy. They love this guy, and their hope is to bring him to Jesus. So they get there. They show up at the house, and it is so crowded, you can't even get near enough to the door to listen and hear what's going inside, much less get inside with a man on a bed. I mean, you can picture that. This is a, this is a uh, it's not the Taj Mahal. It's somebody's house. And so it's limited space, and the crowd's in the yard and everything. They can't get around. So they probably walked around with this guy, and some of their friends must have been saying, well, we tried. I mean, we really cared, and we would have if we could have, but we can't. Come on, let's go home. This is embarrassing sitting here with this guy in his bed. And other friends walking around the house said, hey, wait a minute. There's steps up the back of the house. We can get up on the roof. What are we going to do up on the roof? I don't know, but we'll think of something. Let's go. Come on, get hold. Let's go. So they get up on the roof. There's no way from the roof down into the house. They probably thought there might be a door up there or a way out up on the roof. They didn't find anything. So others would have said probably, let's go home now. This is embarrassing enough and the sun's hot and let's just get out of here. Some Fred said, hey, Jesus is down there. Jesus is his only chance to be healed. Our friend needs to see Jesus. What are we going to do? Well, it's a tile roof. One guy probably had worked on those kind of things, knew how it worked. He said, we can tear these tiles apart, dig through the mud, make a big hole, and let them down. Now, if you were there, what would you have said if somebody suggested that? Are you crazy? What are the people going to think? We might fall in the hole. The roof might collapse. And besides that, there's all those people that came to see Jesus. 
And if they see us making this big ruckus, stopping the show, as it were, aren't they going to claim that we are just selfish? And who are we to butt in line, as it were? All these people have been waiting to see Jesus, and now we're going to force ourselves. I can imagine there's this debate going on on the roof. But somebody starts tearing out towels. Some friend is so committed, and the other friends get with it. And they make a hole big enough to put a bed down through. And you got to think, I don't think these guys were rope, you know, had uh, climbing ropes and all this gear with them when they went to see Jesus. I don't know what they did. If they took off their robes and made ropes, out of, I can't imagine what happened. But somehow, they were so committed to their friend that they found a way to start lowering this guy through this big hole. Now, mind you, Jesus is teaching down below in this house. And a bunch of people had gathered, and it doesn't say this in Mark, but the same stories recounted in Luke, and we find that a lot of those people that gathered were actually Pharisees and teachers of the law, and they hadn't come wanting Jesus to heal them. They came as skeptics. They came trying to prove that this wasn't right, that this man named Jesus wasn't the Christ, the Son of God, as Mark starts the story. And so they're all there listening And Jesus is teaching, and he is such a profound teacher, it doesn't seem like anybody notices they're opening a hole in the roof. He keeps on teaching until they lower this guy right in front of Jesus, it says in the book of Luke. And so you can imagine that moment. Here comes, he's coming down. I have to wonder if the guy was scared. He's going to fall off of this bed. What did his friends have? You know, this was not an OSHA-approved project, I'm telling you. I can picture. I also think it was a hard hat area down below. Because when they were digging out those tiles in that mud, I can't imagine it didn't make a mess. But somehow Jesus keeps teaching until this guy gets lowered down in front of him. And then you have what I would call a pregnant moment. All of a sudden, Jesus stops teaching. And all of a sudden, everybody is focused on this thing that just happened. Do you realize what these crazy guys did? They let this guy down. And those friends now are facing the worst risk of all. Yeah, what if everybody says we're crazy, but what if Jesus rebukes us? What if he says how inappropriate it was for us to stop his teaching and to butt in front of line? What if Jesus sends us away and says that it was bad for us to bring our friend? How is Jesus going to respond to our cry for help for our friend? That's kind of the thing that's going on. And those guys are up on the roof waiting to see what happens. Um, (laughs) I I have to think that uh, um, the disciples also were sitting in the corner. And they hadn't been with Jesus that long. And they're trying to figure out what's going to happen as well. So let's look at verse 5. After that pregnant moment, after it becomes silent, it says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Sons, son, sorry, your sins are forgiven. Excuse me. What? What did he say? You can see these guys. What did he say? What's he doing down there? I don't know, I thought he said something about sin. What's he talking about sin? Is he going to heal our friend? He said, your sins are forgiven. I, what? What does that have to do with anything? What's going on? And the disciples are watching, and the Pharisees are watching, and the master teacher, the king of the universe, is in total control in this situation. And he knows exactly what he's doing and what he intends to do. And so again, there's this pregnant moment. He said... He can forgive their sins. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, more did their antenna go up. Whoa, who is this man that thinks he can say that? And so again, everybody is uh, waiting and watching. What's going to happen next? What's he going to do? And you see, this is a very interesting thing because Jesus often does what we do not expect. 
We often ask for help with something. We ask for a solution to certain problems. We ask for him to do a work even that we think will bring glory to his name because we want to serve him in a certain way. And he answers with a different answer. And one of the things we have to understand is how Jesus understands the significance of the spiritual realm where we have kind of a prejudiced idea that the physical realm is the most important. Now, it's not that they are both important and it's going to come out in our story, but you see, everybody was focused on the physical and Jesus was focused on the spiritual. And this is going to happen, gang, all the way to Easter, all through his ministry and all the way to the cross. Wait till you come on Palm Sunday. And people wanted the king, and Jesus was king. But what they wanted him to do was a physical thing. What he was wanting to do was meet their greatest need, which was a spiritual need. That's what Jesus was about. And this whole idea of sin, you might think, well, if I'm really caring for my friend, you know, I want to help him get a job, I want to help him get his house in order, I want to help him in a relationship maybe. But do I really care if somebody deals with his sin? I mean, really, if I'm thinking about my friends, if I'm thinking about being kind and helpful and meeting the greatest need, do I understand in my soul that the greatest need any friend I have, their greatest need is spiritual? They need pardon. They need forgiveness for their sins. And not just a forgiveness that allows them to have a clean slate for when they go to heaven, but they need the power of sin broken in their life, which is what Jesus came to do. And so Jesus kind of takes all of us to that point and says, let me tell you what's really important here. You want this guy healed, I'll tell you what I do, I'll trump you. I'll forgive his sins. So let's find out what people's response is. Verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, and I think probably murmuring, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins? But God alone, they're indignant. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. Do you see the the authority struggle going on here and the power game that's being entered into? They think, you can't say you can forgive sins. Only God can do that. And Jesus, knowing their heart, says, what's easier to say? That you can forgive sins or actually physically heal somebody. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I guess so. Turns out that the curse, this paralytic paralytic man had a physical manifestation of the curse. Things are not what they should be. Something had happened, I don't know if it was a birth defect, an accident, I don't know why he was paralyzed, some sickness that took him. I've known people that had all those situations and circumstances. But this guy was broken in body. And that's an indication of the curse. And guess what? So are we. This guy was also broken in spirit, separated from God, unable to have that fellowship with God that was intended. And Jesus, the king of kings and the king of the universe, basically pushes back the curse in this story. 
Starts out, of course, with these teachers saying, he's blaspheming. He can't forgive sin. Who does he think he is? Only God. We know this much. Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, and had actually put a perfect trap together for these guys, he said, you guys are right. You're so wise. You understand how important forgiveness is. And you understand that only God can forgive. What you do not understand is that I am God, creator and sustainer of the universe, come to reclaim that which was lost. And that's who I am, and that's where I am, and I'm here, and I am in your face, boys. Basically, so that you may know who I am, I'm telling this guy, get up. And it's interesting, in the, in the book of Luke, when the same story is recorded, it says he got up immediately. I got to think, okay, you're laying on that bed, right? You're the center of attention. You've had all these awkward moments. You wonder what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, strength and healing and restoration happens in your body like that. He probably hadn't walked for years, this guy. You know how you have muscles atrophy? Some of you have had surgery. If you're laid up for two or three weeks, it's hard to get up and walk. This guy probably hadn't walked for years. He was so physically restored, he leapt up immediately, picked up his bed, and walked out of that place. Now, what do you think was happening with those friends that were on the roof? I mean, really, they're down there watching, and at first there's this thing about forgiving sins, and then Jesus is making a speech, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting, and then they hear those words. First of all, Jesus saw their faith, and that was part of what moved him to action. He saw that they believed he could heal their friend. And they longed for Jesus to have that kind of touch in their friend's life. And so because of that faith he saw demonstrated by their action, which is how you actually see a person's faith, is when it's demonstrated in action. Because of that, basically Jesus chose to reward them by healing their friend. And I have to tell you, the friend got up and went out rejoicing, the book of Luke says. I guess so. If you haven't walked for years, and all of a sudden you can get up and you're feeling that health and that strength, that restoration... It's a glorious moment. And those friends, can you imagine they're high-fiving it on the roof? It's amazing they didn't fall off of there. I mean, really, you think about it. Can, they're, just the thing they longed for, the thing they wanted to believe, but they didn't know for sure it was going to work out. They were bringing this friend to Christ, but was Christ really going to change their friend? Was he going to heal their friend? Was he going to help their friend? Was he going to be what their friend needed? And the answer was absolutely yes. Absolutely in Christ, Yes. The answer in Christ is yes. And so I think they're rejoicing with him and the whole crowd. It's just a contagious thing. People just are like blown away by this experience. They're saying, have we seen anything like this in our lifetime? Can anybody else do this? Is anybody else caring for the broken and the hurting like this? Somebody with authority, a religious leader, somebody who clearly when he teaches, we think he should be down in Jerusalem at the temple because no one teaches like him. But he's in my house. And he's healing a broken, paralytic man. And he's actually kind of rebuffing these religious leaders who, frankly, aren't helping us very much. And so that's the journey that everybody's having here. And it was a wonderful, wonderful moment for them. Jesus demonstrates his authority over the curse. He did have the power to forgive sins, but the way he proved it was by healing this man physically. And uh, I will say that, uh, you know, this is kind of a tricky thing for us. Um, we often want to see miracles. We want to see some action. We'll say, if I could see somebody healed, if I could see, you know, there was some situation prayed for, and instantly, and in no other explainable way, I saw something happen, then I would know. But I've got to tell you a little warning here. 
There were Pharisees and Sadducees in the house that day that saw the miracle and did not believe. And so it isn't so that if we just would see miracles, it would help us to believe. I mean, there's things that we should see and see evidence of the work of God that brings us hope and encouragement. And I guess I want to say in my life, you know, I've seen plenty of things, miraculous answers to prayer. I haven't uh, uh, seen many miraculous instantaneous healings, very few that I could say, I know for sure that's that. I have seen people's lives that are so transformed by the power of God. There is no other explanation about what brought healing to them than the person and work of Christ. I've seen relationships restored when there's no other explanation. How could these people forgive each other? How could they go from the pain and the loss and the mess that they're in to actually loving each other? There's no other explanation except for the faithful love of Christ. I think of a ministry like Prison Fellowship where, um, you know, in our country, apparently when Chuck started that ministry, uh, what is it, 30 years ago, or 1975 or 6, I think. There were 250,000 people in prison in America. Now there are 2.5 million people in prison in America. I mean, we got some issues we've got to figure out, don't we? I mean, there's just some things we've got to sort out. But what you find is so many of these prisoners get out and go back in. Get out and go back in. And prison fellowship has found that when you bring people to Jesus and you deal with the issue of their soul, not just the educational socialization that they need, which are real needs and the physical needs they have, a house to stay in and a job and a way to feed themselves. They need all those things, and prison fellowship addresses all those needs. But they start at the heart of the fact that these people need to be forgiven. They need to be reconciled to God. They need to have the newness of life that comes from Christ. And so as Prison Fellowship has ministered, uh, it's amazing how much more successful they are of keeping people from going back to jail. These people that have come to Christ have been transformed. And so some states have been hiring Prison Fellowship and saying, you know, we've got such a mess in our state and we keep having people go back and forth and back and forth. Would you come and help us? And actually, like the state of Iowa started funding Prison Fellowship to come and work with their inmates. And now they've been sued because people said, no, wait a minute, separation of church and state. You can't have somebody coming in and addressing spiritual issues. If they want to help practically, it's okay. But they can't tell people about Jesus. And the judge who studied the case said, you evangelicals, you won't leave people alone. You won't just help them. You're going to tell them about Jesus. And so you cannot take state money because you're propagating your religion. To which I say, thank God they can see that. Thank God that the evangelicals are telling people, if you want hope, you've got to come to Jesus. You've got to get forgiveness. You've got to get your soul fixed. Don't just try to fix the outside. And so I don't mind that Prison Fellowship lost that money because they're claiming uh, to bring people to healing through Jesus. And as a church, that's the same thing we want to be known for. We want to be a place that says we want to help people. We have a good SAM fund. It's a legitimate thing to help people's physical needs. Many of you know that I worked for a group called Africa Inland Mission for 14 years, lived in many different places with them. They're a church planting agency. They went to Africa to tell people about Jesus and to deal with their spiritual needs. But you know what? You show up in Africa, and there's all kinds of physical needs too. And if you really love people, like these friends love their paralytic, you also address the spiritual and the physical at the same time. So AIM has ended up starting hospitals and schools and works of agriculture, and they have veterinarians helping people with their camels. 
I mean, I've seen some amazing things out there, believe me. But it's all to help people know who Jesus is. And let's look. What do we learn about Jesus in this story? How did he engage these guys? He engaged holistically. He ministered to the man physically, and he ministered to him spiritually. And that's exactly the kind of pattern we want here. We've said basically that at the church right now, we're in this 40-up season. That's the 40 days of Lent. When we're focusing on letting God speak to our hearts and deal with our sin, understand afresh what it means to be broken, to repent, to confess, to be restored. We want to know that. We want God's grace to be fresh for us personally. And then we're asking everybody to say, you know, people are saying this is a time of transition at Christ Church. That's true. It's a time of bumps. It's a time when we've asked some things of God and not gotten exactly what we expected. Right? As these friends didn't get exactly what they expected from Jesus either. But you know what I think, guys? I think God wants to do a work, a real, genuine, transformational work in our church to teach us to be more focused on the person of Jesus and nothing else. Nothing stands at that same tier as bringing people to Jesus. And so as we come into this Easter season, it's true that you don't need to bring somebody to church to bring them to Jesus. Believe me, that's true. At the same time, we're going to be celebrating the story of Jesus here right up to the cross on Easter Sunday morning and the famous, wonderful truth of the resurrection. And so if you think about your friends and what you've done for them and how you've helped them and how you've ministered to them, maybe God would have you say, what about their spiritual needs? What about their need for forgiveness? Are you that kind of friend that understands what their greatest need is? And will you be bold like these friends and against social norms and against what your friends might say and against what the crowd might say? Will you bring people to Jesus? And I, I'm, again, I'm not wanting to just confuse coming to church and coming to Jesus, but we want people who come to Christ Church to see and know and experience Jesus Christ in this place. Amen. The power of his resurrection. And here's a thought, you know, as we get into our Christmas, I mean, our Easter uh, experience. We want to think, what does God want us to do for our friends? As we focus on the Easter story, Jesus is going to show you what someone does for a friend. You got that? You're wondering what to do for your friend? Jesus wants you to know what friends really do for friends because he modeled it to the max. Come on, Good Friday. And for three hours, we'll review what a friend does for someone they love. That's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. So this morning, I wonder, you know, what was your uh, purpose in coming to church today? Did you come with the friend's heart of believing and hoping that you would meet Jesus and be renewed and restored in Jesus? Or are you kind of holding on to that skepticism that the Pharisees had? And in some ways you're saying, you know what, I'm kind of hoping it's a lie. I'm hoping I can hear something or see something or see some evidence again to say, yeah, it's all a bunch of baloney. Because then I can do my own thing. And I don't have to deal with the fact that this Jesus that healed and forgave sins is the king. And if he's king, that means he's got to be Lord of my life. And so there is that question for us too. What attitude do we bring when we come to this place to worship? So... Jesus is pushing away the curse. He healed this guy. And we might say, well, there's so much suffering now. I hear this over and over. How could it be that if this great loving God is powerfully in control, we don't see more of that? 
I'll tell you what Jesus is waiting for. Why doesn't he come back right now and totally restore his creation? Because he's waiting for you and me to introduce somebody else to Jesus. So that somebody else can enter in and have their sins forgiven and have life in Christ. This is what it says in Revelation. This is uh, basically uh, tells us how things are going to end for those who are in Christ Jesus. No longer will there be any curse. You got that? Every effect of the curse, the sinful hurt to our bodies, the sickness that we have, the social problems, the health problems, death itself, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. We are marching towards that day, guys. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to see Jesus the way these friends did and to respond to him. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen our own hearts this morning, that our faith might be strong like their faith was strong. And I pray that you would, in in helping us to exercise our belief, help us to look around and see what friends need to meet Jesus, need to have their sins forgiven. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would love like Jesus loved, helping people physically, definitely, yes, compassionately, but also addressing their spiritual, their greatest need. Lord, I pray that you would allow us as a church to have that kind of ministry in this community. We want to be a healing place by the blood of Christ. We make that our prayer in his name. Amen.